she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Everybody, welcome to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan, and I'm James, and me, myself, I, Jonathan. Uh huh. Yeah, you already said that. <laughs> I'm back in Toronto as of about an hour ago. Exactly an hour ago. <laughs> so after driving over eight hours, you decided, well, let's just sit down to record while it's all fresh. Tomorrow is my relaxation day, so mm-hmm. I just wanted to get it out of the open and put it on your desk to edit. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, we actually recorded a whole long segment, long distance together last week that made it into the garbage bin. Yeah, the it was absolute shite. And not the actual content, but the sound quality was just really bad. Yeah. Skype is rubbish, by the way. I still think it's... I'm going to investigate. I think it might be the Skype recorder that I'm using. That's the last mm. avenue before we destroy and get rid of Skype forever. Yeah, I'll... I won't be sad to see it go. You you, uh, you talked a long time on that lost episode about your experience in Cincinnati. I did. I really feel robbed. So where to start? Uh, I went rain. Yeah, obviously. I was in Cincinnati from uh, well Saturday night until Wednesday. So I went to the tournament Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, because you know you had a press credential, you got in free, but I unfortunately had to pay for my tickets. Mm -hmm. And I've been in school and, you know, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go and I'm glad I did. However, it did rain literally every day I was there and probably like 80% of every day I was there. The only day it didn't rain was Championship Sunday. The only day. Mm -hmm. And for all the rain and the, the muddy parking lot and the treacherous walking conditions... It wasn't until Sunday on the sunniest day that I almost wiped out and just fell in a puddle of mud. Oh, I didn't hear about that. No, you didn't. Cincinnati is a great tournament to attend as a fan, but the rain really, really put a damper on it this year. And I'm sure the tournament did what they could to make the fan experience great. But like, what can you do? You know, the parking lots were are all in fields. Like, they're all in grass. They're golf courses. Right. Which... <laughs> Not for much longer. Well, I guess not all of them are golf courses. Some of them are are part of a golf course, and then some of them are just fields, right? Yes. And so any little rain, and it's just mud, mud, mud. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it really sucks walking through mud getting to the tournament, or driving and potentially getting your car stuck in the mud, which I almost did. And, you know, you're like spinning your wheels, and mud's going up onto the roof. Like, (laughs) don't have your windows open. You'll be happy to know I... On one of my pit stops today, I went through a, a car wash. So yes. it's in much better shape than when you last saw it. But I mean, like last year, like Cincinnati does have great food. Although I really only ate at the same place every day. I had a calzone every day. It wouldn't really matter what else they added to the site because say for maybe the chicken and waffles that they had last year that they took away this year. You'd just go back to the calzone every time. Yeah. I know you. And the chicken and waffles was good, but it was overpriced for what it was. Mm -hmm. It was like two two little pieces of boneless chicken and a half a waffle for $14. If you're giving me fried chicken, don't give me boneless. That's those are chicken fingers. So (laughs) so go away. Uh yeah, but like I had a calzone every day and I would if I stayed at the tournament nine days like you did, I probably would have had a calzone every day. Had some well, I had a margarita, which was very nice. I splurged on that a little bit because $12 for a drink in Toronto is not that bad, but in the U.S. it's like really bad. And it's really more like 15 16 in, you know, with the exchange. Where have you gone in Toronto that you've paid for a $12 drink? What? Theoretically, that is a, a normal <laughs> price for a drink, a mixed drink. For a cocktail, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what else? What? Well, we'll start with what I did because okay. yours was like a little more exciting. You know, you had more access. You saw more famous people. You're obsessed with this famous thing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that They're I was called... such like a fanboy. <laughs> They're called tennis players. You're like, oh my god, he, he's telling people at work or whatever 
what I've been up to. And he's always oh, meeting all these famous people. Well, they are famous. <laughs> I'm trying to think who I saw. So Sunday was pretty much a wash. Honestly, I don't even remember what I saw on Sunday. I think uh, there were like a lot of people practicing in and out of the rain. That was the day Petkovic and Kuznetsova were practicing, right? I wasn't there with you. Oh, right. Uh, oh, there was Verdasco, uh, who practiced without a shirt, of course. And I got to see Juan Monaco. I don't think I've ever seen him in person. Have you before this? I can't recall. I mean, like pictures don't even do him justice. And the pictures <laughs> are pretty damn good. <laughs> we saw, oh, the the first day we saw Riley Opelka, uh-huh. who is a uh, six foot 11, I think, young American guy who's 18 who's gone pro after winning Wimbledon last the boys title last year. Uh-huh. And we had our friend Michael Lewis on the podcast and talked about him quite a bit, but I had never seen him in person. He actually beat Jeremy Chardy in three sets in a third set tiebreak, saving a match point. And that was like pretty cool. The serve is huge. He is huge. This, his ceiling to me seems higher than John Isner. I know that's the comparison that's made a lot, but he seems to move much better. At that age, to be able to pull out a third set tiebreak like that, not awed by the situation, I was impressed. Yeah. And he's also decided to skip college and turn pro. And, mm-hmm. you know, both John and I believe Sam Query went to college for four yeah. years, right? So he obviously believes that he can make a go of this as a career. That first day we saw Naomi Osaka play Daria Gavrilova. Mm-hmm. Gavrilova won fairly easily, but it was still very very much fun and impressive to watch Naomi Osaka live. That serve is something else. She loves that inside-out forehand. She's lacking in the movement department right now. Mm. The thing that struck me most from watching her is how completely expressionless and noiseless she's on course. Like you almost, I mean, it gives you the impression that it's casual. But it takes a lot of hard work to do that. I mean, I didn't really necessarily get casual. I just thought, wow, this is like some kind of focus slash seriousness Mm -hmm. from somebody. So you're you're used to seeing more effervescence and youthful exuberance because she is very young. Right. Whether she was smiling, upset, you would never know. Didn't make any noise as far as grunting is concerned. The easiest of power with complete silence on court. Right. I mean, she did crack a smile and giggle a little uh, when they, I think they warmed up for the second time and it rained as soon as they finished their warm-up. So she thought that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Gavrilova is quite the contrast. You know, because she's five foot five. She's slight. She's not like tiny, you know. She is pretty tiny. Well, yeah. I mean, she's built like a a very compact athlete. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And she's a lot more vocal. And she's she's like an interesting person. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like you get the sense maybe she's a little wacky, which I can appreciate. I feel like she'd be lots of fun. Yeah. She gets a lot out of her frame. I was you know? surprised by like how much power she frame. has. Yes. She has decent pop on the serve, on the ground. She just seems to have a very above average game all around. Mm-hmm. Solid. The one thing I didn't appreciate was how prone she was to calling lines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Very vocal in calling and calling balls out from her opponent and putting her her index finger up. Yes, people get paid to do that. (laughs) Now, on Monday, I went to a night session. And if you want to hear all about my day, you can call me personally. (laughs) But as far as tennis goes... (laughs) Excuse you. We'll stop at the area code. Thank you. You're not one of them 416ers. No, I'm a transplant. I wasn't here when the 416 was still available. I had a 416 number and I had to give it up when I moved to London mm, for grad what a school. tragedy. Yeah. Now you're like views from the 7. <laughs> oh, on, so on Monday night there was yet more rain, but uh, Grigor Dimitrov and Gilles Simon were on the grandstand and... I think I mentioned this in my intro for the last episode, but Grigor just, like, swept him aside. And Gilles didn't play that great, but it was a, a sign of things to come, as it yeah. turned out. And as it turned out, Grigor ended up 
going the way of how he has been going well in tight matches being up a break twice in the third set in that semi-final and then losing 7-5 that was a rough loss because mm-hmm. really and truly that was his semi to win and then Chilich goes on to play just a hell of a match against Mari mm-hmm. to your point though Dimitrov had a fabulous week yeah absolutely I think he should be encouraged by this result rather than dwelling on the you know missed opportunities because Chilich is as many forget or like to forget a Grand Slam winner Mm -hmm. he's no slouch well some of the time he is (laughs) I also saw Pliskova play Ostapenko early in the tournament and you know, I wandered into center court because I, I don't think I've ever seen Pliskova play in person. And I just wanted to see, you know, what it, what it was all about. And to be honest, she didn't really look that impressive. <laughs> I mean, like you could tell that she's very talented, but the first set against Ostapenko wasn't a super impressive display of her gifts. So I would have never predicted that she would have won this tournament. The rest of the week was. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, she was down early in that first set, and she did rally to win it. She played Ostapenko first up. She had a bind the first round, Ostapenko second round. Third round, she played Misaki Doi. If you'd recall, took Serena Williams' spot in the draw as a number one seed. Mm -hmm. And so she gets by Doi in the third round and goes on to blitz. Well, she beats Kuznetsova in three sets. Blitzes Muguruza and then blitzes Kerber in the final. And as it turned out, Doi, who took Serena's spot, beaten by Pliskova, and then Pliskova then protecting Serena's number one ranking. Mm-hmm. So that was... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> For me, watching that, well, I didn't really get to watch much of it, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But it seemed like we were having Monica Puig 2.0 this past week in Cincinnati. For starters, she beat Muguruza and Kerber, as did Puig in in Rio. But also, Pliskova just played some of the best tennis of her life. Mm. Similar-ish games, big serves, lots of power, unexpected titleists. Yeah. I mean, it does also show that the Olympics have really changed the schedule this summer and have, I feel like, thrown a lot of people off. I mean, Serena hasn't played at all this summer, aside from the Olympics. Yeah, but then Kerber did all this traveling. She makes the final. Mm-hmm. Same with Mari. He makes the final. And people who didn't go to Rio aren't doing that well. Yeah. So uh, that was one of the things I took away from it as well. It's a bit overstated. All right, fine. I <laughs> the, mean, results, the results in Cincinnati, for me, had more to do with the speed of the court. It seemed like a lot of players had difficulty, whether it was adjusting from the courts in Rio, which were really slow, to mm-hmm. then really fast courts in Cincinnati. Or if just in general, there are some players that just don't do well on super fast courts. Purportedly, these were some of the fastest courts that they'll play on all year. Really? Mm-hmm. Even in like the wet weather? Because hot weather would yeah, make them I, even faster, yeah, right? I don't know. I don't I'm not an expert in those things. Oh. Oh, so I did have a brush with fame this week. Not as many as you did, but <laughs> I got a little notification from the app. And I was watching Feliciano Lopez play, and I'm like, hmm. It says, do you want to come over for an autograph session? And it didn't say who it was. So I'm like, I guess I'll wander over after I see Feliciano's wedgie a little longer. Whore. (laughs) I mean, you would too if you saw it. (laughs) He hiked up his shorts in the front, and then there was like a full-on wedgie in the back. How can you leave that? Anyway, so I walked over. And I asked the person, I went up right to the front and there were no tickets left for the autograph session. I'm like, so who's coming? And he's like, oh, Rafael Nadal. Like, really? Really? So I missed this. But I stood right in the front and Rafa comes in, takes a few photographs, uh, signs a bunch of autographs, was very smiley, said hello to everybody, was just very gracious with all the fans and made, you know, he makes people believe that he is grateful that you like him. You know, that's his thing. And that's something like his family has probably hammered into him from when he was young. So then it starts pouring like really hard while he's in there. And he just looks out and kind of laughs and throws his hands up. I'm like, yeah, we're going to stand out here and wait for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait in the rain. I don't care. And then I got another notification and decided not to let it go this time. And it was for Andy Murray. 
And I got, I don't know, like 11th or 12th in line for Annie Murray's autograph. And the most I could muster was like a hello and like thanks. But he was also very nice and, you know, greeted everybody and actually like looked at you in the face rather than just like having his his nose in the paper. I feel like that's typical, don't you think? What? Of most players? I don't know. I've never stood in oh. a line for an autograph before. Okay. I mean, I was surprised that the two of them were even there, you know, because when we were in Cincinnati, there were, you know, we saw on Twitter, oh, uh, they're both taking this private plane together. And then there were rumors that Rafa didn't get on the plane and he wasn't going to come to Cincinnati and play. And so all of a sudden, like the next day after the gold medal match, Rafa and Andy are on site. Now, why don't you tell us what your tournament was like? I don't even really know what happened, when it happened, what time it happened. It was a lot of just going through and experiencing things as they happened and feeling kind of out of sorts all week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally new experience, just trying to take in as much of it as possible. Press conferences, I talked about a couple couple things with regard to those on the previous episodes. Getting up the nerve to, to ask questions of players mm -hmm. and having confidence that the words will actually come out the way I want them to. <laughs> right. Because the big fear here, we're recording this podcast and I can totally screw up and be able to edit it. Right. Mm. Get totally lost in a sentence. But when you're frozen with everybody watching <laughs> and things being recorded, uh, that was that was the part that was really scary for me. More so than actually like talking to these players. Okay. Still didn't want to like look like, like making yourself understood. Yes, and also not coming off like an idiot. Mm -hmm. I imagine like you know where you're trying to talk across different cultures and different languages, and a lot of meaning can be lost even in person. You know, in like a yeah. high context setting like that. And I'm very verbose by nature, <laughs> or by schooling. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just how we're taught in Jamaica. <laughs> And also, I use a lot of big words in normal conversation. Mm. And so, you, you, to what you were saying, you had to be mindful of trying to have your language be accessible. Right. One more bit I wanted to add with respect to the press conferences. It might even have been something I've participated in in the past, but I've definitely seen it a lot on Twitter, on tennis Twitter, where folks are complaining about tennis journalists or whoever is in the press room asking questions not asking the questions that quote-unquote should be asked because they want to protect their access. Mm. And from watching the whole process, I got the sense that the issue is not with the journalists. The way the system is set up now, I would be trying to protect the food on my table as well. Mm. I think the the best comparison can be when, when Serena's documentary was coming out, the French Open documentary of the early 80s, uh, came to the fore again. And when you contrast the access of the press back then to what it is now, it's completely different. And when you consider that the majority of the people who are covering these tennis tournaments on a week-to-week -week basis don't have big news organizations behind them on their credentials. Mm. A lot of them are there for blogs, for smaller outfits, and the big press people only come in for the really big tournaments, the Indian Wells, the Masters tournaments, the uh, Grand Slams. And even those big outfits, they can't, they don't have the resources to cover tennis on a week to week basis anymore. So there isn't any real stringent organization with big resources, with the wherewithal to withstand whatever pushback could come from the tours, mm -hmm. from having real intense scrutiny on what's going on in tennis. That isn't happening year-round. And so the ones who who pop in and pop out, maybe they don't have a full understanding of what's going on in the tour because they're not there all the time. And the ones who are there are really struggling to be there. Right. And so when people just casually say, and I'm sure I've said it in the past as well, oh, you know, they should have asked this question, but, you know, they're just protecting themselves or the access. They don't, don't want to mm. lose their access. I think it's a little bit more complicated given the current uh, media climate. Right. And to add to that, the way that newspapers are going these days, they're hiring a lot of freelancers or stringers to cover events. 
And so even if you're someone who writes for a publication frequently or you have multiple credits with a publication, you may not be on staff technically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're paying your own way and maybe what you earn for doing your work may like recoup those costs, but you're not like making a great living. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly how that works mm. uh, for freelancers, but it's, it's the idea that there's a whole lot of money in tennis journalism is I, I don't think it's accurate. <laughs> mm. Well, what's interesting to me is that like the tours obviously want to, their main goal here is to like protect their brand. I had two interviews this week and there was a presence in the room overlooking as mm. I suppose there should be. The players and the tour don't know who I am. I'm new from some podcast. Right. <laughs> you know? And so the, what folks who asked me, uh, how did the interviews go? The Svetlana interview and then the Sanya Mirza interview, which is coming up at the end of this episode. My response was, you know, they were suitably skeptical. Mm-hmm. As they should, you know. Yeah. It's interesting to me that players said yes. Yeah, you I, know, that, I was surprised. <laughs> like that you submit... Oh, you know, Jonathan from the Body Serve podcast wants to interview you and it's going to be recorded and you don't know who he is and you've never heard the podcast and they're not affiliated with any major mm. company. And they're like, yeah, OK. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, people like Svetlana and Sanya, they have no qualms about shutting shit down if they need to. So, well, that's true. They're well equipped yeah. to handle situations like that. What I mean is that, like, I can see being a player and being like, mm, yeah, you have so many media responsibilities, you know, because you do your press conference first. And then, like you say, you'd like you go off and do these other interviews after or, people request. As you. was the case with my situation, there weren't press conferences beforehand. Oh, okay. So this is what happens particularly earlier in the week. You don't actually see the majority of players don't go into main room interviews Early in the week, at least it didn't happen in Cincinnati. It was the big winners, players who had multiple requests for interviews or whatever. You know, so Mm. there were times... So Rafa lost, he was there because he's Rafa. And he lost. But there were some later round people who lost and they didn't have a press conference. It's not... Which is another surprising thing. I just assumed that everybody had a press conference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Which was not the case. I did too. So neither Svetlana nor Sanya came from a press conference. They finished their match and then they came and sat down and and chatted afterward. Okay. Something else that really surprised me about my time in Cincinnati was how little live tennis I watched. Some of it by choice, but a lot of it was you have something that you're working on, you have to work on it. And then when the actual matches are finished, the ones that you can't watch live, you then go to the press conferences and you spend a lot of time in the press conferences and the day that I had the Svetlana interview, I knew it was happening after her match. So I went to watch her play on court nine against Tamir Baczynski. And at the same time, Rafa was playing on center court. And at the same time, Kerber was playing on the grandstand. And so I'm kind of, I said, okay, I started with the Rafa match. And I said, well, I've got time for it. I've got time. So I'm going to go to court nine, watch Sveta. And then I popped out of that, went to court nine, watched some of Kerber. And by the time I did that, Rafa was <laughs> down 6-1-4 love. Oh, against Courage that day? Yeah. And so I was like, well, I have to go like watch some more of Sweater because I'm going to be interviewing her later, right? Mm-hmm. And so that match gets done, and then I kind of lose my my bearings. I'm not in the press room, so I can't I don't get the announcement that Rafa's going into press. And thankfully, Tennis Inside Out Val, she tweeted me and she said, I'm in the Rafa press, but I don't see Sportscribe CA. Mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> and so I ran, I ran back I up the ran state, for my right? life, ran to the press conference, was a little bit late. I think he had already asked two questions, but you kind of just never know what's going to happen, especially with the rain, who's going to be playing when, if there's something you really need to do on that day, that can really dictate what else you're able to experience at tennis for that day. And I mean, it's hard to plan your day because, well, the rain like fucked up everything. Mm-hmm. So the schedule, you know, there really wasn't a schedule. It was like whenever they could get the matches in. The night sessions ended up going really, really late a few days. And you still have to go to Applebee's. <laughs> and they changed their hours, which yeah. was like really bitchy, by the way. They did. They. I, you know, they need to reassess their management strategy, at least during the tournament. 
Well, they claim that they had made the hours earlier irrespective of the tournament, that that they just didn't have that much business year-round. Yeah, but like Applebee's in West Bumfuck, Tennessee is open till 2 o'clock. <laughs> you know, every Applebee's I've ever been to is open till 2 a.m. Well, we know how difficult difficult it was to get anything late night in Mason, Ohio. Yes, it was very frustrating. And if you did manage to find a drive-thru, it will take you like 45 minutes to order one sandwich at Wendy's. We had an entire conversation while I was in the McDonald's drive-thru. We did. And I had assumed, you know, you were already driving back to the hotel, whatever, and you're like, this is the slowest drive-thru ever. You're still there? I'm like, yeah, I just only paid at the first window. <laughs> we we didn't see as many famous people at Applebee's. We saw Tim Abachinsky. As we did last year. Mm -hmm. She must love that place. We didn't see Feliciano this year, but I saw him last year eating a salad. One of their like... Oh, I saw Angelique Kerber. What? Kerber was at Applebee's. Oh my... You didn't tell me that. I did tell you that. That's a big one. I did tell you. You did? Yes. Mm. As usual. As usual what? (laughs) You don't listen. All right. (laughs) We saw Coco Vandaway walk in wearing her kit, Uh which was a first for me. She pranced and she bounced in. She did, yeah. I mean, she is a lot. Bouncy. <laughs> I don't know how... She, she reminds me of a really tall, jockey gummy bear. Gummy bear? I you know, like, like the cartoon character, gummy bear. I find bears. that to be extremely rude. To whom? Coco or the gummy bears? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> the only way I can describe her is that she's just a lot to take. But that night, she... Well, you say that from just watching her on the practice court, right? Well... Everything I know about her, all put together, yeah. And watching her on the practice court, practicing with, like, a few European players who are probably like, why is this girl yelling all the time? And she was being jovial. Like, it was very positive, but she's just loud. (laughs) You mentioned to me privately that it was a little bit weird kind of walking the many flights up to the media center and just kind of running into people in the stairwell. Yeah, because there's an elevator that services the entire building. The media, the media room is on the fourth floor, but the elevator takes up to like 10 minutes sometimes. Mm. Sometimes you don't have 10 minutes to wait for the elevator. Right. And so you take the stairs. The second floor is the player's lounge. The third floor is the media uh, press conference area. Then the fourth floor is the, the media room, right? So when you open the stair, open the stairs, <laughs> open the doors to the stairs, sometimes the the player lounge, which is on the first floor, it's it's open. Because people are walking in and mm-hmm. out constantly. But you're not allowed in there. No, no. Okay. And then people are, Sam Stozor is walking up behind me just having a casual conversation. <laughs> I walked up minding my own business and then in my periphery I could see somebody look like they were doing weird things on the staircase. Like, is this person going to fall? Like, their balance was a little bit off. And mm-hmm. then I look up and it's Benito struggling to keep his coffee from spilling, <laughs> which he did spill a little bit. <laughs> Uh, Ivan Isevich walked by. He's sporting salt and pepper hair now, apparently. And then, I, I don't know if I said this on the previous one. I, I'm i leaving the media building, and I walk by walk out, and there's Justin Gimmelstab. Oh, no, you did not mention this. And I look up, and he smiles at me, and I nod my head. And all I'm thinking in my head is, if he only knew how much shit oh I've talked God. about him on this podcast. It's like, does he know? Can right? he tell? <laughs> Like, is he about to ream me out right now? A little <laughs> bit of self-importance. Like, Justin Gimmelstab's not listening to the podcast. No. But for people who want to say, like, he's such a nice guy, I can see why you'd get that impression, because he was very nice to me in passing. Mm. Right. Uh, I saw Mohamed Leani everywhere on the, on the tournament site. Really? He seemed like oh, everywhere, I, him everywhere I turned. And uh, Darren Cahill. I was walking and I saw him. I was like, oh, look, there's Darren in his suit. I looked down and he's wearing cargo shorts and sneakers. <laughs> With like a suit jacket yeah, on. and a tie. Very classy. Like this is how it works for TV on ESPN, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you're not certainly not going up to talk to these people. You're not doing anything inappropriate. You know, you're always mindful of that. Mm. It's more of being on alert to be kind of invisible around these people. Right, right. To be respectful. Yeah, and... but it's still kind of jarring as a, a new person to that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. To just be beside these people who you see on TV all the time. Yeah, for me, as a fan, it's I still don't get used to seeing players casually walk by without an entourage. I was waiting for you one day 
I'm just standing around somewhere and Barbara Streetsova walked by like three times with headphones on. She's like pacing back and forth. Yeah. Like, where is she going? But nobody knows who she is. You know, Jamie Murray came up to one of the courts to watch a doubles match. And uh, he just, you know, st- stood behind all the fans because he's super tall. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's Jamie Murray. Like, I'm going to go stand next to him and just kind of eavesdrop because I'm too shy to say anything. <laughs> so I just sort of stood near him and tried to, like, take a few discreet photos. Right. And so it took a while for the word to go around that that's Jamie Murray. But once people started approaching him and asking for photos, he was incredibly gracious and really nice. I imagine that could get annoying. It seems that everybody you saw was incredibly gracious and nice. <laughs> no, I'm just mentioning the ones who were. I want to know who were the real, real nasty people. Well, I didn't see any. <laughs> I'm sure they exist. And, I, you know, we've all heard the rumors of who's not so nice. But I, a lot of the players that I've encountered have been mm. very kind. Well, that's it, too. You're on site and you see all the different media obligations that these players have. And then when you catch them in moments of just being by themselves or presumably wanting a moment Mm -hmm. of of being able to be by themselves a little bit of respite you know yeah and they they still have to deal with that and so i've always taken with a grain of salt when people say oh this person was just so mean like well were you coming up to them for an autograph Mm -hmm. while they were at applebee's eating their dinner or yeah which i've seen and you would think that you'd have the common sense not to bother someone while they're eating dinner yeah you know but then there are people who have said that people are ju- they're just nasty. Or you see somebody come out of the player's room, the, they're leaving the, the tournament site. And the way it's set up in Cincinnati, there are barricades on either end of the either side of the entrance, mm. which is then the exit <laughs> as they're leaving. And most times players stop and sign, take some pictures. I saw Petkovic spend like five minutes just laughing and smiling <laughs> and taking pictures and just being so stunningly wonderful mm. with the fans i like i had to pick my job off the ground <laughs> it was something to watch and then sometimes people just walk out and don't they ignore the cries of like eh, you know come sign yeah. calling their names or just nod and wait yeah, and then ju- they just go i mean that's their prerogative too i imagine it's really taxing week in week out to do that all the time mm. Well, in Cincinnati is unique that they have sort of that gallery. Yeah. You know, in other tournaments, you don't really know where the players Mm -hmm. come in or... I suppose you could make the argument that they should be lucky to be in the position they are, blah, 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 and grandstand about it. But I can definitely see where somebody would just politely decline Mm -hmm. and go about their day. It's difficult for me to say what these players should or should not be doing in any given situation outside of being blatantly rude to somebody. Right. You know? And, you know, I... I'm introverted, so I totally feel like I want to give them alone time and, you know, because I personally would be kind of stressed out by always having to be social and gregarious and all that. The biggest thing I'll take away from the tournament is how much I do not know about tennis and its inner workings and how things are and even things that I thought I knew and had opinions (laughs) on. I'm kind of, okay, maybe not so much. And I, that's what I would stress to the listeners. It's so easy to get caught up in the Twitter vacuum of outrage and opinions and voicing them all the time. And Lord knows I am so guilty of that. Mm. But it being pressed for a week gave a different perspective on how things work all across the board. So briefly then, what about the tournament? What happened? I don't know. I wasn't there for the end. Yeah, but you watched it or followed at least. I didn't watch it. I was here working my ass off. It was like the worst weekend ever. I did get to hang out with my aunt and uncle and cousins on Saturday. That was fun. Well, we can just give a brief synopsis. Yeah. So, Angelique Kerber, if she had won the final, as you all know by now, she would have taken number one from Serena. Mm -hmm. And she was beaten handily by Karolina Pliskova. And I, in our private conversations, I told you that this might have been the result. You did, and I didn't believe you, because I thought if anyone was going to beat Kerber, it would have been Halep in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. And I thought if she was healthy and strong enough to get to the finals, then it was kind of a foregone conclusion. And most people seemed to believe the same thing. They were, you know, writing their eulogies for Serena's record. Kerber had played a lot of tennis in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I saw so many people, the tiring Serena army, talking about how if it had been Serena in that position, they wouldn't have been giving her the same excuses of fatigue and playing all those matches. Mm. I, mean, I mean, like, what does she have to do to not get that flag? Play five more matches in five more days? Mm. I don't understand. I just cannot be outraged. You is know? it not enough that Serena is still number one? Why you gotta like, go after Kerber as well? It's entirely plausible that she was just so tired playing so many matches, different time, well, not so much time zones. Because mm-hmm. they're just coming from Montreal to Rio, there's like one hour difference, right? But still jet lag, playing on different continents. It's a long flight. You yeah. Know? My impression, well, first of all, Serena's extending Steffi's record was important to me as a fan, but I'm not sure that it was important to her. Maybe it was. It was important to a lot of fans. It was. And if it's not important to Serena, I understand that. Because she, I think her goal is to be healthy for the US Open and put last year's US Open out of her mind. You know, she's trying to win more majors. This is, these are the records that matter. This is what people talk about when you retire. Well, if that's the case, then why did she show up in Cincinnati? Well, I think that she really wanted match play because the Olympics didn't go no, how she thought. No, no, no. I think I think number one was on her mind. All right, but she wasn't going to imperil that, imperil her health to play a match and which try is to why keep she that re- ranking. This, which is why she withdrew. Right. But for Serena, practice is just as good as match play. I think. All right, fine. But if Kerber had earned the number one ranking this week, she she would have earned it. Yes. You know, Serena's played six tournaments this year. That's it. Well, the flip side of that is people saying, oh, you know, she's still number one and she's only played six tournaments. This girl has to go play 15 tournaments to even get close. I'm like, come on. Yeah, but like, it's not a fluke. It's not. No. It's not Wozniacki reaching the final against a depleted field. Oh, you're calling names No, but really, in the 2009 US Open. I know when it was. all, All the big names had been pushed aside for her. Basically, <laughs> no shade, but it's true. <laughs> Remember, Melanie Udan beat everyone difficult on her side of the draw. Kim Kleisters beat Venus and Serena. So anyway, my point is that Kerber got to the Australian Open final against a real field, beat Serena, then got to the final of Wimbledon. Like she's had an incredible year. And this is the year that a number one player might have. And it's, it hasn't come out of nowhere. She's not a one-hit wonder. The tea leaves, if you were to read them, would have told you that on the strength of four wins last year, if she were to take a next step, it wouldn't have been that shocking. I know the Singapore thing happened, where she had that bit of a meltdown. But players do sometimes become much better, progressively. And you remember, we actually, last year, we talked about her four titles on the podcast, and they Mm -hmm. were spread over different surfaces, and it was like, you know, she might win a major in two years. And at that time, it even seemed like a long shot. No, no, no. I will recall, I will remind you exactly what happened. You had asked me, who am I looking for to have a breakthrough this year? Mm -hmm. And you know who I said? I said two players. Oh, oh, I can I guess who they are? Mm -hmm. They were both in that final today. Granted, Pliskova has shit the bed all Oh, year. you said... Oh, I thought you were going to yeah. say Muguruza. No, no, no. Because I'm like, I everyone said, said I said that. Kerber and, and, and Pliskova. Because I was really impressed with her finish to the year last year. Yeah, and you were probably eating your words for a while with Pliskova. Yeah, she's I, not had I a think great I year. may have even said her on the podcast, I'm done with her. Oh, yeah. Until she does something, you're done with her. <laughs> yeah. You said exactly yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, now she's done something. She did something. It's not at a major, but it's something big. It's a big. pretty big thing, yeah. yeah. Biggest one of her career. Marin Cilic. He was quoted as saying he'd played the best tennis of his life, apparently, in the quarterfinal presser after beating Burdick. I'm not, I wasn't there for um, that. Against an injured Burdick? Well, I don't know. I guess you can still play well. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was in good form, put it that way. Mm. Grigor tested him, poor Grigor, and uh, then he beat Murray in straight sets in the final, which was a big surprise for me. It is, but again, Murray flew into Ohio like the day he won the gold medal right I mean for him I feel like making the final was good enough certainly good enough but I I don't think many people expected that yeah we'll talk about in our U.S. Open preview whether or not Chilich has a shot Mm -hmm. but I'm gonna err on the side of no the other big development that on finals day was Sonia Mirza and Barbara Streetsova beating Martina Hingis and Coco Vandewey 
Yeah. So this is the first tournament that each has played with a new partner. Yes. And you will hear Sanya's words about the split Mm -hmm. and how it happened and how she came to partner Barbara. Sanya and Streets of a Word down 5-1 in that first set and came back to win it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Came back to win it. Then they went up by a huge margin in the second set, either 4-1 or 5-1, mm-hmm. and then ended up winning the second set 6-4. So it was topsy-turvy, but there was some just stellar doubles play on, on, on display. Mm-hmm. Sitting there watching that match, it was one of the absolute treats of the week. And, I mean, all of those players are accomplished doubles players. Mm-hmm. And Streetsiva has been around for a long time, plays doubles in Fed Cup. Vandaway won... She won Indian Wells in Miami with Bethany Maddox-Sands, right? Didn't they win so, the double? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I would not be... I think Martina's going to get the suckier end of this breakup. Because Sonia and Barbara really gelled this week. It seemed. <laughs> there were some times where balls were hit down the middle. One time in particular, a ball was hit down the middle. And Sonia assumed that Barbara was going to go for it. And she didn't. So it just mm. kind of went by both of them. <laughs> And there were similar instances with Martina and, and Coco. Like they, It's still new. They haven't had a whole lot of time to play together. Mm-hmm. But in that final, Sanya and Barbara really had the benefit of playing all their matches. Martina and Coco got two by, two walkovers into the semifinal. Right. They were in the semifinal Which without so having crazy. won a match. I think uh, Blair Henley tweeted, I think she was running the Cincy Tennis account this week. She tweeted that... The team had won $37,000 without having to hit a server or anything, you know? <laughs> that was, and people knew what was going on in that final, that it was something unique mm-hmm. and special because that final started at 12.15. The first singles final started at 2, but the doubles was on the grandstand and the singles was on center court. So if you didn't really care what was going on, you could show up whenever you wanted for that singles final. But that court was, I had to struggle to find seating. And the Indian fans in the crowd, wow. Like, they showed up for Sanya. You'll hear her, <laughs> you'll hear her uh, quip about how they're Indian fans everywhere that she plays on tour. Well, yeah, and... well, just plain old, there are just Indians everywhere. Yes. And <laughs> By people extension. from India know her. <laughs> yeah. And they showed up. And in her acceptance speech at the end of the match, she told the crowd that you know early in the week i told barbara that she was about to get a whole lot of indian fans and look here they are (laughs) (laughs) and afterward barbara thanked she was thanked specifically the indian fans and then she she thanked like a couple czech people up in the top Mm. (laughs) with the czech flag but they seem to have had a ball together martina and coco with the runner-up trophy not so much (laughs) (laughs) so if i may I would like to give a grand introduction to your interview with Sanya Mirza. I listened to it, you know, after it was done as a fan, and she is just a very engaging, astute presence as as an Mm -hmm. interviewee. I don't know what else there is to say. (laughs) Frank Candid will speak her mind. You don't have to worry about not getting answers from Sanya Mm. because she'll give them to you. And more than that, she's thoughtful. And she's engaged in the process. It's not just a sit down just to get it out of the way. Mm -hmm. She's there. She's present. She's just a pro. And I mean, if you follow her at all, you know the kind of horrible shit she deals with with everything she says. You know, back in India, she's criticized regardless of what she does. So she she says the sky is blue. There's something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I imagine she's always mindful of how her words can be twisted. Right. There's one thing we wanted to touch on before the interview, only because we've talked a lot about feminism on our podcast. And at one point I asked Sanya as a follow-up to the influence of her parents in her career and her life and the way she views the world, if they were, how do they feel about having a feminist icon as a daughter? Yeah, and she, well, she took issue with you calling her a feminist. (laughs) Uh, Well, she said that she doesn't identify as a feminist, Mm -hmm. which I, I... was a, quite surprising, to be honest. Well, it was interesting to me because, well, as you'll hear, that a lot of the things she was talking about gender equality, we would identify in kind of our discourse of feminist principles. But we are unaware of what feminism looks like in or how it's 
or what the discourse surrounding feminism is in India or, as Sanya puts it, the subcontinent. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a schism between South Asia and the West. I don't know. But you'll hear in the interview, and I, I don't think we should go on about this. She should be able to speak for herself. Uh-huh. She does give a a fairly principled and uh, thought-out response to it. You know, uh-huh. it wasn't just a wholesale rejection. So that was interesting to me. When I told you that I had gotten the interview and you listened to it, you're like, wow, that was so good. And all I could think of was, oh my God, there's so many follow-up questions I wish I had asked. Mm. But I am I am happy with the interview and I've, I'm very thankful that Sanya agreed to it. And for all the listeners out there, enjoy. Sitting across from me, I have Sanya Mirza, world number one in doubles. You just came off the court. You won your semifinal match. How fed up with you are with rain in 2016? (laughs) Tough. It's so tough. We were actually talking about it because uh, honestly, I feel like wherever we go, the rain kind of follows us. So, but you know, as tennis players, uh, I think people don't realize how many how many issues we have to deal with, Uh and rain is very difficult because you know mentally it's so tough to stay in and out and in and out all the time, and especially in rain delays, you don't know what to do, eat, food. There are so many things, but um, but we that's our profession, and that's just really you can't really be fed up of it because we know we're probably going to see more rain, um, you know, in in the next few weeks as well. But just have to deal with it, and whoever deals better, I guess, wins. In this particular match, you were up 6-2-4-2, 30-all, and then the rain came. And you clearly had the momentum in that match. Yeah, no, no that's why, So especially um, in doubles with the short format, it's so much tougher because, you know, there's not a lot of margin of error, obviously. And then, um, okay, 6-2-4-2 sounds like a big enough lead, but it's not. It's just one break and, you know, anything happened and we got tight there in that second set. But... Um, we played well and we were able to come through but um yeah it's it's just how it is you have to deal with it there's no going around it right i mean at the end of the day everybody is dealing with yeah. it everybody's in the same position you've got a new partner this week uh barbara Streetseva. can you tell us a little bit about how that partnership came to be um actually uh, uh since i mean me and martina decided to uh, go our own ways uh, after montreal uh, i was kind of looking and i mean i know barbara for a long time you know um I mean, we've known each other literally from juniors and so many, many years and we just never happened to play together and obviously you try and look for someone who can uh, complement your game and Mm -hmm. I felt like she could and it just worked out, the timing worked out. I asked her, uh, you know, because obviously nobody knew that we had split so I asked her and she was like, yeah, in a couple of days she told me because... You know, she had to sort some things out on her mm-hmm. end, but uh, I'm glad. Like we've come, you know, we've come here and we've uh, obviously started playing well from the word go. Do you approach her and are you like, can you keep a secret? Who? <laughs> uh, to Barbara when you're saying. No, no, not really. It was not really a secret when mm-hmm. we, uh, because me and Martina, I mean, it was a very mutual decision, so it was not really, you know, we weren't going behind yeah. each other's back or anything. It was after after we made that decision, okay. we actually, you know, she approached someone and I approached someone. And you were very deliberate in your statement uh, on Twitter saying, you know, stressing that it was a professional decision. Do yeah, I was just w- sitting with her yeah. in the gym right now. I mean, you know, uh, as it, at the end of the day, this is work for us. Mm-hmm. This is our business. The way you go to office, this is our office. Yeah. And you have to be able to separate, uh, you know, professional to personal uh, equations. Yeah. And uh, we achieved some unbelievable things together, me and Martina, and um, things that were never achieved before, some that were, but, you know, the things that we did were, were amazing. And for me, those memories and the way we played, and we had a great 17, 18 months together. But sometimes you just um, have to move on, and both of us thought that it was the right time. And I'm so glad that we both felt the same way because, you know, we can sit across each other and still go for dinner yeah. or, you know, something like that, and it's absolutely fine. In the last 18 months, you've had incredible success. You talked about that yourself there. I know you have an autobiography. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and you've also always been very vocal in your uh, speaking out for gender equality. Would you say that this will be your life's work going forward after tennis? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, uh, I don't know if you followed my life or my career. I've yes. always been, uh, I've done everything that's close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And whether, you know, it's been criticized at times, but, it, but I've always done everything that I feel is right in my heart. That's how I function. And uh, for me, this cause especially, I mean, I, I, I help. You know, I'm an I'm ambassador for the United Nations as well for women equality. I mean, this 
issue is extremely close to my heart because I feel that I have experienced it myself in you know in number of occasions and um, as women we go through that every day no matter which part of the world that you live in um, you know we are always fighting for equal rights uh, it could be as simple as going and giving a job interview I mean it doesn't need to be on yeah. a very high level you know so this is something that I've always been very vocal about and I will continue to be I mean sure it will always be part of uh, the, the, my plan in the future, whether I play tennis or not, you know. Do you think um, a lot of that comes from your parents? You know, you have a close relationship with them? Uh, I mean, I think that we come from a family of two girls. Uh -huh. uh, and we've never had a, you know, had a feeling that my parents wanted a boy or that we were, you know, deprived of a son. No. Like, we've always been treated as equally. I mean, I never felt like, oh, if I was a boy, I would have different rules in my house. I mean... It's just how they were. That's how I've been brought up. Um, you know, whether it's to do with equality with men and women, or it's to do with equality with you know race or religion or culture. That's just the way we've been brought up to see everyone as equal. And uh, yeah, I mean, my parents are obviously the the ones that have installed these values in me. And the, the whatever I do believe, a lot of it has to has come from them. And they've helped me become the strong person that I am. How do they feel about having a feminist icon for a daughter? I don't think I'm a feminist. I think that I've said this before. I think that the fact that a word feminist exists, that means that we live in a man's world. I mean, okay. I don't think that we need to... Someone needs to be a feminist to want equal rights. I don't think you need to actually be be standing out and saying and screaming off rooftops saying, hey, I'm a feminist. I think you can still want uh, just regular things like, you know, and, and you don't need to be called a feminist for that. So I, I, I hope they're proud. I mean, not just because of that, but I hope for, you know, everything, all the hard work we've put yeah. in and that what we've achieved together. Being named to the Time 2016 Most Influential People's List, how does that make you feel? No, amazing. I mean, it's, you know, it, those are honors that you obviously don't really dream of. You know, these are things that just happen and sometimes it does feel surreal and does feel like it's a dream. But I've been very blessed, obviously, to have uh, able to you know, be noticed not just on the tennis court, but off it as well. You have such a high profile in India, huge celebrity. Does being on tour and playing tennis feel like a bit of a respite for you? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's Indians everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not like I'm, you know, I go to a place. I mean, there's so many Indians here, you uh -huh. know, but it's great for me. It's, it feels like home away from home in a lot of places, especially like in New York and yeah. London, you know, because there's so, such a yeah. large Indian community everywhere. I'm Jamaican but, and I feel the same way. All those big cities you go, there are Jamaicans yeah, everywhere. Yeah, there are. And yeah. so, but I mean, we are 1.2 billion just mm -hmm. in the country and outside plus. So, you know, it feels, it feels really good, but. Um, yeah, it is. It is obviously c more calm. Like when I'm outside, mm -hmm. yeah, and outside that part of the world, outside the subcontinent, where I'm able to, you know, go for a walk, and it's fine. <laughs> you recently on Twitter as well expressed disappointment at not being able to win a mixed doubles medal at the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that I've achieved uh, almost everything that I've ever dreamt of, and. Probably the Olympic medal was something that was, you know, so to say, missing from my closet, which mm -hmm. I, which I felt that we were, we were so close to getting. I mean, you know, obviously we had two shots at it, but, you know, things happen. That's what I even said on that statement that day was, um, you know, yeah, it will take me some time to get yeah. over it, but obviously, you know, we're here, we've bounced back in the final again, and that's how a tennis player's life and athlete's life goes. Yeah. You have to wake up the next morning and fight again and um, you know give yourself another sh a chance give yourself another shot do you feel any additional pressure in those situations because there have been instances in the past where media in india has questioned your patriotism i uh, can't remember a time i didn't feel pressure okay so <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember a time in my life where i went on the court and i felt like oh wow I'm not, it's like if I lose this match, it's not going to be treated like the end of the world. Yeah. It always is. It's just the way it is. That's you know what I mean? Life. I mean, not literally end of the world, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't want you to make a quote out of that, but I'm just yeah. saying that it's, you know, it's always an issue if you lose a match and it's always great when you win. And that's just, I mean, the cricketers deal with that on a daily basis. And fortunately, unfortunately, I deal with it as well. Um, but no, I mean, that's not additional pressure. The pressure is always there. In a, a bear with me a little bit, a question of make-believe. 
if you were appointed uh, commissioner of tennis tomorrow, what would be some of the changes you make on day one? Oof, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. I'd like to have roofs on every <laughs> center court that we play at. <laughs> that would be the first thing as I would like to do is make sure that if you give a WTA tournament, there's yeah. a roof on the center court. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we were here yesterday from 8.45 in the morning to 10.45 at night. You were right? scheduled for two matches yeah, yesterday, but right? but we were at 11 in the morning. So, I mean, on days like that, that's what I would like to do, have roofs on every single court. <laughs> what are you doing on the grounds in that time? No, but like we were basically, we had to wait and, yeah. then, you know, we can't leave because just in case there's a retirement or something. So you have to just wait yeah. and we played our match and then you switch off and, you know, you take a shower, you have a mess or whatever, you recover, eat, and then you're waiting and then it rained and of course, and then we had to wait again. So yeah, you just, uh, you, you find things to do. I mean, me and Barbara were just joking. We're like, we've spent more time in the gym than in our rooms in the hotel. <laughs> like, I mean, we've just been in the gym every time there's a rain thing, so... Uh, switching to a, a little bit more s serious topic, uh, Andy Moore has been a very vocal supporter of uh, women's tennis. Uh, with pain equity still an issue in tennis, do you wish that you had more support from players like Andy or the ATP in general? No, I don't think. I think everybody is entitled to their yeah. own opinion. I don't think that we need more or less support. It's not about support. It's. Uh, I think Andy is unbelievable. I mean, he's an unbelievable tennis player, but he's also an amazing guy. And um, you know. Because he's Andy Murray and he speaks out, people sit back and notice, and it's great yeah. that he does. Um, you know, it's amazing. But he's not saying anything that is extraordinary. He's just saying what everybody should be saying yeah. or should be thinking. You know, and I, that's what that comes back to when I said that, that we don't need to be a feminist to be, you know, to say normal things like just have equal rights um, in everything. And he's doing exactly that. So I mean, he's a great guy. He's just more vocal. Maybe there's guys who feel the same way but yeah. I'm not as vocal so but I think everybody's entitled to their own opinion okay well I'm gonna end with a few short questions a few fast questions the first one if you could retire any question so that you're never asked it ever again what would it be I hope I haven't asked one no you haven't but uh, the worst question that I we always get is like when we win or lose a match uh -huh. how we feel like we come off and they think that's the best question in the world <laughs> so how do you feel after winning this match and they're like well, I mean, I'm not going to be sad or the other way around. So. Uh, do you, a bit of self-awareness here. Do you know how many career doubles titles you've won? I heard that today, actually. 37. 37, right? yeah. yes. Well, I didn't know that until <laughs> I heard it to say. I knew it was in the 30s. Yeah. But. And uh, true or false, you have more Twitter followers than Andy Murray. False, I think. It's true. Oh, it is? Yeah, oh, by a few I... hundred thousand. Oh, yes. <laughs> Come on, Andy. Catch up. <laughs> <laughs> last, last year, we recorded an episode called Tennis Divas. And the gist of it is that we were, you know, playfully saying a tennis player what their musical equivalent would be as a, a music diva. So, for example, Serena Williams was a cross between Beyonce and Mariah Carey. What musical person do you think best encapsulates Sonia Mirza? Me. I'll tell you, Svetlana Kuznetsova said uh, Rihanna. For herself? For herself, yes. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I don't know who I would be. Maybe, I think I'm a, I'm a Beyonce. Yeah? Yeah, I think I'm more of a Beyonce. You can't get much better than that right now, can you? No, no, but I'm more of a Beyonce. It's fitting for a world number one. <laughs> uh, of all the players who've retired from tennis uh, during your career... I could be an Adele, too. Yeah? Yeah, I could be an Adele. I'm quite sobby sometimes. <laughs> you, you, you like those those sad songs? I'm a cross between Beyonce and Adele. I think it's a weird cross, but yeah. I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> of all the players who've retired from tennis during your career, who would be your dream comeback? Steffi Graf. Steffi Graf. And uh, finally, everybody who's on the podcast, I ask this question. Whitney, Mariah, or Celine? Celine. Celine? Okay. <laughs> For me, it would be Mariah. Okay. But the, all three are perfect yeah. choices. Yeah. Celine. Celine. Okay. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks to Sanya Mirza for sitting down with Jonathan. And thank you uh, to anyone who stopped into the Body Serve just to listen to Sanya Mirza. Hopefully, you'll stick around to listen to us as well. We've got 52 other episodes. There's lots for you to download and listen to in your free time. 52 other episodes. I know. Can you believe that? It's... Imagine how many hours we've been sitting in front of this computer. I know. It's getting to be. I don't. It's not like the. Doing it is getting to be a lot, but 
I'm finally starting to feel a little bit of a sense of accomplishment with the podcast right, right. after all this time. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, give us a review on iTunes. Those are always appreciated. You can find The Body Serve on Twitter at The Body Serve. My name is Jonathan. I'm on Twitter at SportsgribeCA. And I'm James. I'm on Twitter at ElliotJMR. Two L's, two T's. And look out later this week for our U.S. Open preview. There's so which many is episodes we're doing. Coming right around the bend. <laughs> two episodes last week, two episodes this week with this one that's coming out, and then the U.S. Open preview. Mm-hmm. And then we're probably going to do a mid-U.S. Open episode yeah. unless nothing happens, I mean, really. But there's going to be so much to talk about. Yeah. So if you like the body serve, there's a lot more coming. Yeah, it's a bounty of body serve <laughs> <laughs> lately. Till next time.